With the help of Hashem, we are learning Bavakama Daf Peites. We left off on Daf Peites on Adalif, nine lines from the top of the Amid Amar Abaya. A few words of introduction. Firstly, we learned at the end of yesterday's year, Machloikas Rabbi Yechanan Reish whether King and Hapetes is ke King and Haguf or King and Hapetes lot ke King and Haguf, which means if someone only has the user fruit rights to a certain property. It's theirs. They have the right to consume the petis. Is it considered halachically tantamount to owning the essence of the property itself or not? Rabbi Yechanan holds yes. King and Hapetis is king and, like king and haguf. The Shlokesh holds king and Hapetis lafke king and haguf. So I know we learned about this argument in Yavamis. We said that this is one of the three cases where the halach is like the Shlokesh. There's a very deep Hasidic concept connected to this machlaikis, which is, let's call the machshava dibaromaisa of a person our petis, which is really what we produce, you know, our deeds and words and thoughts. And then you have the person themselves, you know, the chabad, chagas, you know, the moichen, the midas, that's the etzem. The shlakish was a balchuva, which means that for many years his machshava dibaromaisa were not yet the way it should be. If he would have held that king and apetis is king and haguf, then his outwardly not good behavior would have somehow affected his essence. And he knew that not to be true. That Yisrael, Afal Pishachata Yisrael. Whatever you do on the outside doesn't automatically make it so in the inside. Rabbi Yechman was a tzaddik. King and apetis is king and haguf. Rashlakish says king and apetis is not king and haguf. And more than that, Rabbi Yechman is a tzaddik. Which means that who's a tzaddik? Like we learn in Tanya, that not only is the person's machshava dibaromaisa perfect, and that is that which we have under our control, but that actually transforms the inner person. Everything becomes transformed into kedusha. A benini is not that way. You can be good in the outside, but inner, inwardly, the person still has the struggle between the godly soul, between the animal soul. King and apedis is not necessarily king and aguf. Okay, that's first of all, intro number one, that this machlekas will be needed for later on. Intro number two, we learned yesterday the takana that was made in Usha. Usha is a city. The Sanhedrin was exiled ten times before they were dismantled. They were finally dismantled, sadly, in Tiberia, which is why we have a tradition that when Mashiach is going to come, they're going to convene for the first time again in Tiberia, Irak Kodesh. And most of the takanas of the Sanhedrin are recorded in the Mishnayis, if not in the Mishnayis, at least in the Braises, there is a Takan of Usha that we received orally from a Rabbi Yosef Rabchanina. Which is why we're going to see continuously the Gemara trying to find a source to this Takana in a Mishnah or Braisa. What is that Takana? So, to understand that Takana, another few words of introduction. Going back to what we learned in Mesech Subis and in many other areas in Seder Moyet. When a woman gets married, the husband has to write for her Exuba. There, we're going to divide the ksuba into a, into a few parts. You have the ikir ksuba, which refers to the minimum amount of money of either 200 zuz to a woman that was never married before, to Absula, or 100 mana, 100 zuz to a woman that was married before, to Abu'ula. A man can add to that amount. Adding to that amount is called the toisefes ksuba. So instead of writing 200 zuz, he can write 1,000 zuz if he wants. He's writing that, that if he's going to divorce her, or if he will predecease her, she'll get that from his assets. 
And then you have a woman who came into the marriage with assets. Now that also can be divided into two parts. The assets can be included in the ksuba in the category of nichsei tsoyin barzel, iron-clad properties. Iron meaning that when she gets married, based and evaluates the value of those properties. And that value is recorded in the ksuba. Even though parenthetically, again, we learned in Ksubis, it's not exactly recorded the way it's really valued, but that's not negated that detail. So the value is in the Ksuba. If he divorces her, or if he predeceases her, that value is money that he owes her. The properties that she brings in becomes his. Now, it's not a normal debt. He owes her the money because she brought in properties. But yes, it ends up being a debt. He owes her that money. And then you have the final category, which is what we are addressing right now, is properties that she does not want to give to him. The Chachamim allows him to use the fruits of those properties while they're married. But the properties continuously are hers. And those properties are called Nikhse Meloig, or Melug. Meloig means he gets to pluck it while he's with her. So for example, if that property becomes evaluated, if it's worth double when he divorces her, she gained that double. If those properties became worth half, she lost that money. The properties are not his, the properties are hers. And the same thing would be that if a woman, while married, she gets a gift. If while married, she inherits property. All of that is automatically in the category of nichse meloik. She has money. The, the property remains hers. The goof is hers. The husband retains the rights to the paytas. That's how they got into the soul sugya. Now in Usha they made a decree that if a woman while married sells her nechsem now obviously if she sells her nechsem the buyer will never have the right to have the fruits while she's married. Because you cannot sell something that you don't own. But she's selling the properties being that she really owns it. So you, the buyer, it's yours. And if she'll die, if he will divorce her, then he'll get it. Then he'll get the properties. And the fruit. So by the theoretical letter of the law, it should work. She owns the goof. She does, during marriage, she has the right to the paytas. So if she sells it, the husband continues to eat the paytas. But the goof belongs to someone else. Now obviously, if the property is worth 100, he's not going to pay 100. Because he doesn't get the fruits immediately. But he'll pay a discounted price, but not a terribly discounted price. Because it's going to be his for sure. The only question is when. You know, if there'll be a divorce... If, if, if she will die, if he will die. In Usha, they made a takana that a woman has no right to do so. Why? We, we learned the words in Rashi, Mishum Eva. The Chachamim were afraid that a husband might come to resent his wife if she does so. In other words, even though really it's not his, he only has the right to the paytas, but she doesn't have the power to sell it, and therefore she doesn't have the power to gift it, which was the whole story that we learned yesterday. Now, final introduction, we learned another concept. The other concept is, is that there's something called toivas hana'a. Toivas hana'a means that a woman would have the right, let's go back to, to speaking about her ksuba, to selling her ksuba, but not in the way that we mentioned. Not in the way that we mentioned that in Usha they decree that she has no power. Toivas hana'a would mean a woman will sell her ksuba for a very discounted price. It's almost like selling futures. Selling futures, not because something will happen, but we don't know when. Selling the futures in a way where there's a risk, whether the buyer will get anything at all. So a woman tells a man, listen here, I have a ksuba, I want you to buy it. If the husband will divorce me, 
then whatever is in the Ksuba will go to you. If the husband will predecease me, then whatever is in the Ksuba will go to you. However, if I will die first, if the husband will not divorce me, you'll get nothing. That's something that even after Takana Zusha, a woman can do. She's only selling the futures if she'll end up getting her ksuba. Now, a man would pay a very low price for that. A hugely discounted price. That's called Teva Sana. That's something that a woman can do. Okay, clear. Now, let's go on. Daf Peites. Again, nine lines from the top of the Amit. That firstly, Teva Sana, Hoyel Vasan Liyodim, since we mentioned Teva Sana, in the previous Braisa, in the case of Adam Zaymimim, that maybe we'll speak out again. Let's speak it out right now. The case was that there was a woman who was married with her husband. Two Adam come and say that she got divorced and she got her ksuba. She's claiming, not that I'm divorced, but I didn't get my ksuba. She's claiming I'm still married. It's a very unique case. Because the bottom line of the Adam Zaymimim's testimony is she gets nothing. Because she already got it. She's not claiming she wants anything. She's still married. And if the Edom become Edom Zoyimim, said the Braisa, you can't tell the Edom, you know, let's say her Ksuba was just, let's make it 200 Zuz. You can't say that you were going to cause her a 200 Zuz loss, pay her 200 Zuz. Because the Edom Zoyimim are claiming, if we were not proven to be liars, she was not claiming the 200 Zuz. We were not causing her now a loss of 200 Zuz, because she was saying, I'm still married. Eloma, the Toivas Hanna is what they have to pay her. But she, claiming she's married, would have had the right to sell a ksuba for the discounted price. Let's say a 200 zuz ksuba is worth, let's say, 50. A person would pay her only 25%. Because not only are you getting nothing now, you might never get anything. You understand? If she dies first, then whoever bought it will get nothing. So that $25 has to be paid. So says Abaye, now that we spoke about Milsa, let me tell you something. That if a woman does sell her ksuba to someone else for the toivah sana, who gets that money? That money goes to her. Because you can argue, Or at least, as we'll learn later, what happens if a woman gets a Yerusha while she's married? If, it's some, if a property is not written in the ksuba as Tzoyin Barzo, it automatically becomes Nechsem So if a woman, let's say, inherits property, she doesn't get to eat the fruit of it. True, she gets to keep it. But the husband gets to eat the fruit. If she gets money, she has to buy land and the husband gets to eat the fruit. Toivas Hanna is fully the woman's. Why? Because if the Toivas Hanna would go to the husband, then why did the Braises say that the Edim Zayimim have to pay her Toivas Hanna? They should not even have to pay her that. Why? Because Adam, the Adam should tell her, my what loss were we going to cause you? And she's claiming she's married. What was the cause? Ah, that she no longer can sell the ksuba for Toivasana. So what? Even if she would have sold it for Toivasana, she wouldn't have gotten the money anyway. Even if you would have sold it, still, the husband would have taken the money from you. So Abai has a Gavalda Kedai that if a woman sells a Ksuba Lutevasana, she gets to keep the money, which is an exception, that a woman will take have her own money. Omar Rav Shalman says that Rav Shalman, what kind of Rai do you have? Maybe the Tevasana goes to the husband. 
Why did the Adam Zayim have to give her this damage? Because that's also her damage. Why? Because there's going to be more money available in the house. There'll be more harvacha. It's kavaldik. When a, when a husband gets more money, as we married men know, who benefits? The wife. Are you getting money for you? You're getting money for your family. So even if halachically she would have gotten the money, then the money would have gotten, gone to the husband, that there would have been more harvach in the house. You know, many of the achreinim go into the details, but, but all of that money would go to her. So it's not just about the money, it's about the harchava. If he would have gotten the money, it would have been more harchava in the house. And that's a loss that the Edom Zayim were trying to cause her. So Teva Sano goes to her. Whether she gets to keep it or not, it's irrelevant. Omar Rav, what's the halacha? Hilchas Teva Sano goes to the wife. And not only that, the Eim Habal, Echel Pedis, we don't even tell the woman, at least buy land with it. Or buy something with it that produces Pedis. We don't even say that. My Tamo, Pedis, Takena Larabana. By next the takana is that the husband gets to have the fruits of what belongs to her during marriage. However, fruit is what is his. But peda de peda, the fruits of the fruits, which would be her selling the ksuba, the That's the fruits of the fruits. That already, like takino larabanan. And okay, there are more details to the peda de peda. If you remember what we learned in Ksubas, you have over here the second Tosfos in the Amid. Tosfos makes it clear, and maybe let's chop a few words on Tosfos. Haino, right? Peter, the Peter, like taking a lot of banan. Haino, but milo da asuna alma, like Tosfos hano. Abel, I'm jumping down the middle of Tosfos, but by the Gil and Hashas. Abel, Peter, the Peter, da asumi gufei. If a woman has nechsam aloik, and the husband is eating the fruits, and Pasha, you plant from the seeds more trees, that the husband does benefit from. If the peta the peta is coming from the goof of the petas, here it's not coming from the goof of the petas, and the husband has no rights to it. Now, all of this is going to be important coming back to what we learned in our Mishnah on Da'af Pezayin. And now you'll get the whole Hamshech. We learned in Da'af Pezayin that if a woman does damage, really she owes the money. Unlike a minor that does damage that he doesn't even owe. A woman owes the money. Why is Pigi Because she technically does not have money. So now we're going to speak about a woman maybe having money. And it's going to link us to the sugi here of Toi Good. So put on your thinking caps. And here we go. When these two great Amaroim came back from Yeshiva. Until today nothing changed. You know Yeshiva boys come back. It's Kavaldik. They come back with Chedushin. Sometimes great ones. Sometimes not so great ones. But they come back with the Ruach of learning. So they came back from yeshiva, and the, again, the issue is, is that the Takana Susha is not explicitly written by, amongst the Tanoim. It's not a Mishnah, it's not a Braisa, it's not a Tisefta. So Amri, they said, ah, Tanino le Takana Susha, we found a hint in a Mishnah to the Takana Vusha, that a woman doesn't have the right to sell her Nechsa Malayg. Again, don't confuse. Selling her Nechsa Malayg, Luteva Sano, of course she can do. Usha never went against that. Before Takana Susha, what a woman would have done is, she would have sold her Nechsam Aloyg, not for full value, but for not a discounted price. She would have gotten a little discount. Because a man would have bought her Nechsam Aloyg, with the knowledge that for sure he'll get it. The only question is when. Was Abade, if the husband will divorce her, if the, if the husband will pass away before her, then of course it'll go to her. But even if she will die before him, being that she really owns it, the husband only gets to eat it, when it's hers, instead of the husband inheriting it from her, 
She sold it already. Someone else will get it if she dies. That was something that theoretically she was able to do. The Sanhedrin said not. And I'll prove it to you from the Mishnah. Because it says in our Mishnah, that a Evet Kanani or a woman, Piggy Yasem Ra, any encounter with them financially is a lose-lose. As the Mishnah said, that whoever wounds them, whoever injures them, you've got to pay them. But if they injure others, then they are potted. And as the Mishnah explicitly said, they're not potted because they're not chayiv. They're potted because they don't have money. And therefore the Mishnah says, if they get divorced later, they have money, they have to pay for the damage that they caused. So hold on. Said these two great Talmud, if we would not hold of Takana Susha, if a woman has the right to sell her Nachsam and she's not getting at a horribly discounted price. She's getting a little bit of a discount. Because the buyer is getting it, he's just not getting it immediately. So again, if it's worth 200 you know, he'll pay for it uh, 175 Let Bezdin force the woman to sell her Nachsam and let her give it to the victim. What do you mean a woman has no money? Let her sell her Nachsam And on top of that, Minoch said that even the money goes to her. So the Gemara says what you're saying, like a Valdik, hold on, let's say that there was never a Takana Sush. I'm sorry, let's say that there is Takana Sush. Good. So now she cannot sell it as hers. But Toivas Hana, a woman is always allowed to do. So here the question is, even if there is Takana Susha, she can't make it into a proper sale. You know, by only giving a little discount. But still I have a question. Every woman can do. She's going to get a very small amount of money, but so what? She damaged. Let her sell an achsim alayk. Well, that's part of the ksuba. We're going to go to the whole thing in a second. Okay, good. The ksuba in a moment. Let her sell an achsim alayk. Now, that's already a risk. A toivis hana would mean that the sale is that if she's going to die before him, the buyer will get nothing. But still, people pay. They pay less money, but they pay for that. So the, so the question is, why didn't the Mishnah say you have to do it? The answer must be, the Mishnah is speaking about a case that the woman does not have Nechsam properties. So, you have no right from the Mishnah to begin with. Ella, the Mishnah is speaking about a case, the Hachinami, even if there wouldn't have been Takana Susha, even if a woman would have a right to sell her Nechsam the reason why the Mishnah is not demanding of her to do it, is because she doesn't have it. Hold on. Says the Gemara, it's possible that a woman should or should not have Nechsam A woman might or might not have Nechsam Saim Barzal. Very nice. But every woman has Iksuba. And you're saying that a woman has the right to sell Iksuba. But You know, a person is buying futures. He might get the 200 Zeus, he might not get it. Let's say he'll, he'll only pay her 25, he'll pay her 25%. Right, he'll pay her 50 Zeus. But let her, the Chachamim force her you got it. To sell her ksuba, but pay for the damage. Answers the Gemara. It must be that our Mishnah goes according to the opinion of Rabbi Meir. The Omar, what does Rabbi Meir say? A man is not allowed to be with his wife if they're married. Not even for one hour if there is no ksuba. Go back to ksubas. There's a machlekes whether ksuba is the rice or the rabbanon. Let's go with the approach that Ksuba is Midrabanan. And why did the Chachamim institute Ksuba? For a man to have a deterrent not to divorce his wife. 
before the Chedem that Rabbeinu Gershon, a get was something for which one did not need the wife's consent. Marriage, you need to have everyone to consent. He has to want, she has to want. She doesn't verbalize anything, but she has to want to get married. By the trade law, and even by the original rabbinic law, before the Chedem, a get, only the husband decides whether he'll give it or not. Now, if a husband will get upset at his wife, and he doesn't need her consent to get divorced, they were afraid he's going to stop divorce her. And then he's going to calm down. And by then, she's already divorced. Now really, by a Yisrael, it's not the end of the world. He can remarry her. But it is the end of the world. Why did you divorce your wife? So they made a deterrent. You want to divorce your wife? I got to pay her money. So if she's going to sell her ksuba, you're losing the deterrent. Says the Gemara, exactly how are you losing the deterrent? It makes absolutely no sense. What's the deterrent? That he has to pay her? No. The deterrent is that he has to pay. If she sells the ksuba betreves the same deterrent is in place, right? Because if he's going to divorce her, he won't have to pay her. He'll pay to the buyer, but he'll have to pay to the buyer. So ask the Gemara, but time am I? What are you hacking Rav Meir? Why did Rav Meir say, he can't be without a ksuba kadesh hey, deterring him to divorce in church, shouldn't be easy. You know, you want to divorce, pay money. Well, the question is, even if she sells her ksuba, the deterrent is not lost. Because the imigadish law, okay, she won't get the money. If he'll divorce her, and if she sold her ksuba to a buyer, who, who bought it, that if he'll divorce her, then the buyer will get it. Also, Hanach, the Zavnei, the ones who bought her ksuba will come, and Gavolol ksuba they'll demand the money from the ksuba from him. So we're back to the question. Why did the Mishnah say that if a woman damages someone else, Pigi based in should force the woman to sell her ksuba, but now, we do have until now that if she had the ksuba that had in it Nechsem or Nechsem Tzayim Barzil, then you should know, we force her to sell it. As we'll see soon. But the Mishnah is speaking about a case where she doesn't have Nechsem or Nechsem Tzayim Barzil. But still the question is, sell the ksuba itself. So the Gemara says, look at this attempted answer, that the discounted price that she can get money for is considered the word. In other words, it's a untangible. And therefore, words, huh, an intangible. You cannot mortgage a debt to something that's, that's not tangible. It's when a person has land and they owe money, the land becomes mortgaged. She damaged someone. She owes money. But what does she have? She has a document that she can sell for futures. The initial answer is you can't force her to sell it. Because it's not leaned to the debt. Why is it not leaned? Because it's not money. It's future money. So the Gemara says, no, the Gemara doesn't accept it. Allah Malay, the first line, why not? It's not just words. They are words that she can monetize. It's an asset. Very good. The Gemara is saying, this is today where it's norm. It was very sophisticated. This, that even though it's not money now, and if you sell it, you have to discount it. doesn't matter. If you have a debt that you can sell now for a discounted price, it's considered money. And it should be leaned to the loan. And why don't we force her to sell her ksuba? Answers the Gemara. The answer is like Shmuel said, Amar Shmuel. These are rules that we have to remember. Let's speak about uh, selling a document. Selling a debt. Let's say Reuven owes money to Shimon. Shimon has a document that Reuven owes money to Shimon because Shimon lent money to Reuven. Shimon can sell the document to Levi. 
meaning that Levi gets to collect them. Now, obviously, Levi will give a discounted price. After Shimon sold the document, the way Halachal views this debt, the debt is not owed from Reuven to Levi. And using, we learned this together, that Rabbeinu Tam explains, I think we learned that in Ksubis, the following, that there is an obligation that Reuven has to Shimon, because Shimon lent him money. Because of that obligation, step number two, Reuven's assets are lien to the debt. But the lien originates from a hischaivus that Reuven has to Shimon, which is beyond finances. You lent me money, I owe you. I owe you. Because of that, my assets are liened. When Shimon sells the document, when Shimon sells the debt, he's only selling the financial part. He's selling the outcome of the hischaivus. The hischaivus itself, Reuven owes money to Shimon, not to Levi. And therefore, after the sale happens, if Shimon should not do this, but Shimon has the power to forgive the debt. You got what's happening here? Shimon sold, a, Shimon sold his debt to Levi. Let's say the debt is of $100. Levi's not going to pay him $100 because anything in the future you pay less money. He'll pay for it whatever value he'll pay for it. Depends who Reuven is. Depends when the date is up. You know, I grew up like that in Brazil. My father was constantly selling. You have, you know, receivables. You need money today. You sell it to the bank. You discount it for whatever the percent is. Factoring. Factoring in Yiddish. Duplicatas that were factored. So, so one second. So now Shmuel says that if after you sell it, the original principal forgives the debt, the debt is forgiven. We don't. Whatever it is, we, that's if we would have said it that way, then Shmuel wouldn't have had his din. That that shows you that's how we look at it. In other words, even though he sold it, he's still the middle person. Huh? What's he sell? Shimon is owed $100. Shimon needs money right now. He tells Levi, Levi, let me factor this document. I want you to give me today $80. He gets his $80. He gets the $80. He goes to Reuven. Shimon goes to Reuven and he tells Reuven, I'm weichel you. And Reuven owes no one nothing. Now the question is, who caused the damage to who now? Shimon caused the Levi. Does Shimon have to pay Levi? By the way, when we learned, I think it was in Dafsamach Beis, we, we don't have, it's not for right now, the whole concept of Garmi, Grama bin Izak and his father. But Garmi might be high if this is the case of Garmi. If you hold that Garmi bin Izak and his Chayev, Shimon will have to pay. If you hold Garmi bin Izak and his father, $80. Whatever the money that he caused them to lose. That's another good question. Okay, Mustafa the Rishan will speak about it. Does he have to pay him 80 or have to pay him 100? Correct. Great question. Hey, listen, guys, we had this. I, this is Ksubas Daf Pehei Pevav. The Gemara Pevav in Ksubas speaks about whether Shimon will have to pay the money. But that's not relevant for here. The point is, is that if we paskin like Shmuel, which we do, in our case, if the wife sells her Ksubas, she has the power to forgive it. So look what the Gemara says. And Vafilu Yodesh can be Meichel. So the reason why we don't force a woman to sell because she will forgive the debt or she might forgive the debt to her husband. So the buyer will lose out. So Beisden is not going to force the woman to do something which will benefit the victim but on the account of a buyer who's going to be gypped because she has the power to be Michael the husband to Ksuba. 
Now, I know there's many questions. Just hold on. We're going to speak out all the questions. So now they ask three lines from the bottom. Omrei, hold on. That doesn't make sense. Zabunde, zabin, vititima. Let the basin force the woman. You damage someone. You got a ksuba. Sell it to and pay the victim. Now, you're saying that she might be Michael the husband. Now, listen. Who says she's going to forgive the debt? You know, and it's not correct for her to forgive the debt. She's causing a damage to the buyer. If she'll do it, we'll deal with that later. But she might not do it. It's only a doubt. The, the money that she owes the victim is Abadai. So the Gemara clarifies. How many they said? No. When it comes to a married woman, anything relating to her husband, she's for sure going to forgive the debt. And for sure, forbade them to tell a woman to do something, knowing that she is going to damage the buyer. It's almost she's actively going to hurt someone. That like Afsidinu, Bezin can't do that. There's a victim, very nice. You can't do something which benefits the victim, hurting, knowing that you're hurting a buyer. Now Rashi speaks out, look at five, four lines from the bottom. This is important, this Rashi. He'll cover the last Rashi in the Amit. That E, Amirin, Bezin will tell any woman who damaged someone who has no halachic money. So the question is, tell her to sell her ksuba if Bezin will force her to sell a ksuba, that's the key. If Bezin will force her to sell a ksuba, then for sure, for sure the buyer will lose money. Even though he paid $25, he'll get nothing. Why? Because the he, Hadra she for sure will forgive the ksuba to her husband. Why? Because she was forced to sell it. If a woman, on top of the Amen, the Braisa, what we learned at the end of yesterday, if a woman on her own initiative sells the Ksuba, we're not going to say she's going to forgive it to her husband. But if a woman is being forced to sell the Ksuba, not for a discounted price, she's going to go ahead and she's going to be Michael to her husband. So ask Stoisvis, we just learned the din of Rav Meir. We just learned that a man is not allowed to be with his wife without a Ksuba. How can a woman be Michael the Ksuba to her husband? Here there's no more deterrent. So Tresma says that she's upset that she was forced to sell the ksuba. She's going to be Michael the ksuba to the husband, the, the ksuba that she sold. And, and she knows Bezdin will now force her husband to write for her another ksuba. Valdik. So there's going to be a deterrent. She's allowed to be with her husband. That's what happens when you force people to do things. They, they, they come back at you. It's Valdik. So the, really, every woman has potential to get money. She can sell the ksuba, but Tresma says the reason why we don't force her to do it is because she's going to be Michael the Ksuba and the buyer is going to lose out money. Now you should know that if in the Ksuba there was Nechzat Sein Barzal or Nechzat Maloig, that a woman cannot be Michael. She cannot be Michael that. Because a debt you can be Michael. Nechzat Maloig is hers. It's land. Even Nechzat Sein Barzal that we explained yesterday, it becomes the husband's and he owes her the money. But since it's a debt linked to land, you can't be Michael it. You have to give a gift. She's not going to give a gift. See, it's different her giving a gift to her husband. She's not going to jump and do it to hurt someone else and hurting herself on the way. Here we're speaking about the ksuba money. She didn't bring in anything. She didn't do anything for it. It's a win-win. She gets married. Automatically, he owes her the money. That's something that if she's forced to sell it, she'll be moichel to her husband. Why would she not be moichel? 
No, Stam, you're saying, why wouldn't the husband make her to be Michael the whole Ksuba? So then there's no Ksuba in the world. And like I just spoke up from Tresvis, if there's no Ksuba in the world, she's not allowed to be together with her husband. So that's why Tresvis says, she's being Michael the Ksuba just to hurt the buyer. You're forcing me to do stuff, you bought it, you forced me to sell it, I'm Michael it. It doesn't work. You can't be married. Uh-huh. Can't be married. Works. Okay. So now the Gemara asks another question. Again, she damaged someone. She owes the money. The only reason why she's not paying is because she has no money. So we're not forcing her to sell it to a third buyer. Asks the Gemara, why doesn't Bezdin tell the woman to give her ksuba to the victim? The victim is getting nothing now. Now again, the ksuba is worth 200 zuz, but being that she, there might not be no money, it's only worth on the market 50 zuz. Okay? Let her pay 50 zuz of her damage. Or maybe that's the whole damage. Give it to the victim. What's the fear? She's going to be moichelet. Well, the victim is not getting anything anyway. He's not going to lose by it. Let her give it to the victim. Gavaldik says the Gemara and explaining the Gemara because here even the even if she's going to turn around and say, Ah, you forced me to give my ksuba to the victim, I'm Michael to my husband. Okay, if she does that, the victim is not going to suffer any loss because now he's not getting anything anyway. So no, no one is getting gypped over here. Well, she, the guy has to wait anyway. At least let him come with a document. So here the Gemara says another point. Soif, soif, at the end of the day, she will be Michael Diksuba. So if she gives it to the victim, the victim will have nothing of value. Now, no one lost anything. Why would we trouble the basin to do something that won't work anyway? So if Saif called Lagaba Bal again, anything relating to her husband in the case where she's being forced to sell her ksuba, Vadai Machla, she for sure will forgive the debt of the ksuba to her husband, and Vaatruche Beidina Bihdi, and to trouble a basin for nothing, for no gain, and we don't trouble the basin for that. It's another important rule. Why many times today Batidinam don't want to take cases is because since Batidinam today don't have the power to enforce anything, why are you troubling me? To, to pass in a din for what? For nothing. Don't, you know, it's almost as a, as a zelus of the beidina. You're almost degrading the basin. Okay, bottom line is, what's the maskana? This, this halacha. That if a woman has an uksuba, any properties, whether they are nechsa maloig or nechsa tzayim barzil, if she damages someone, we force her to sell the nechsa maloig and nechsa tzayim barzil. Betayvah sana. To pay to the victim. When do we not force her to sell it? When there is no assets in the ksuba, I, the ksuba itself, the ksuba itself, we don't force her to sell because she'll, she'll be Michael the debt. No, if she has assets, we force her to sell it to pay the victim. Now, the question will be, what happens if a woman damages her husband? The Eloha, the Eloha, the Tanya. So now let's go on to the next case. Here it's already going to be different. Okay, a woman damages her husband. So again, theoretically she owes him the money, but she doesn't have assets. Let's go back to the same question. Maybe here she should give him the ksuba and we'll see how this might be different. We learned in Abraisa of Chain, he, Shachavla Babaila, if a woman damages her husband. So here the Braisa says, we don't force her to sell the ksuba. Likewise. So one second. Asks the Gemara, here am I? Taz benina nihale liksuvasa labaila betoyvas hanoa bahachabola. Why don't we tell her? 
Yuxub again, 200 Zuz. If she were to sell it, Toiva Sanoa, for the discounted price, let's say she would get 50 Zuz. If she made a hezek of 50 Zuz, let her sell it to her husband. Now really, it doesn't mean that she sells it to her husband. She should assign it to the husband. Says the Gemara, the E, here again, there's no loss. No one is going to get jipped. Unlike before, that for sure she'll be moichalit, so he, the guy is not getting anything. No, here he's getting, he's getting 50 zoos. Says the Gemara, here you can't do that. If she is going to give the ksuba to her husband, now there's no more deterrent. Elamah, what are you going to do what Taisva says? Write another ksuba. So you're playing a game. No, the husband is not gaining anything. So you, you forgave one and you wrote another. Nothing happened. So you can't lose the deterrent. Says the Gemara, Gavaldic a question. What are you talking about? You don't want the deterrent to be lost. Think about it. If a woman owes the husband money, let's give a case where it's mama shikul. She During the marriage, she hit him and she made a damage that she owes him 200 zuz. She has a ksuba that has in it that if he divorces her, the husband owes her 200 zuz. Acknowledge, says the Gemara, that in such a case, there is no deterrent anymore. And there's nothing you can do. What's the deterrent? The husband thinks, if I'm going to divorce, I have to pay her money. He doesn't have to pay her money anymore. Because if he divorces her, if she owes him money, then he has to pay her 200 zuz, then he'll collect it back. So there's anyways no deterrent. In our case, he'll divorce her. The God they and 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 will give her the ksuba and right away he'll take the money back. If she did damage to him during marriage, he anyways lost the deterrent. Don't bring in that Avmeir. The Gavi lay He's going to collect the money that she owes him. So since there's anyways no deterrent, so back to the question: Why don't we force her to assign her ksuba to the husband? Says the Gemara, and here there's a line that seemingly is repeating the same question. Some people don't even have it. So anyways, there's no deterrent. Answers the Gemara, keep going like this. The case of the Braisa must be the Nefish Subasa, that there's a big Subad settlement. It's going to work. If there's a big Subad settlement, that's it. Well, we'll see two ways of wording it. Either more than 200 zoos or the damage is less than 200 zoos. Oh, so we just work it out. So explain. Mishum, hahu purta. Yes, if she won't forgive the ksuba to him. True, she owes him money. But if what he owes her by the ksuba is a lot more of what she owes him, you have a deterrent. He's not going to want to lose the lot to get the little. So the Gemara just wants to work that out. One second. If we're speaking about a that's 200 zoos, but the damage she did to him was, if the Ksuba settlement, if the, if the damage she did to him is less, if that's the case, so why don't we say that, no, no, if there is a side of the 200 zoos, if there is in this ksuba other monies that he owes her, so there's 200 zoos, let's say he made it to 1,000 zoos, so here the question is, hold on, why don't we say simply, let her give him, assign to him that addition, and then leave the ikr ksuba to have the deterrent. The idach, what's above, no, it's the ksuba itself, don't touch. Yes, yes. 
And the idach to zabn on the yili b'chavale. And by the way, that would work. In other words, if a woman damages her husband, if you have trace with ksuba, so that's going to be the halacha. So I guess you don't touch the ksuba itself. You still want to leave the deterrent. But Beisden will force to assess how much is the trevis hana from the trevis ksuba, and that money should right be, be assigned to him. Yeah, and he gets paid right now. No, it's enough. It's enough. It's enough of the, we don't say that. Very good. No, we don't say that. We say that the ikir ksuba always is enough of a deterrent because that's baharaya. You don't force a husband to give more than that. Now, in the case will be the ksuba You don't have more than two hundred zuz. The whole ksuba was two hundred zuz. And the have a Let's say she owes him four zuz. Just give you an example. So he owes her two hundred zuz. She owes him four zuz. So there's a deterrent because even though after he gives her the ksuba, he's going to collect. My little collect is very little. For some reason, the Gemara speaks about 25 sellers. 25 sellers, 100 zuz. We jump to a bu'ula ksuba. It's not negaya why we do it. The point is, is that the least, even in the very good, in the least case scenario, so where are we up to, guys? No, so very important. So if a woman damages her husband, here, in many cases, she'll make payment. When the Braisa says she doesn't make payment, it's in a very limited case. If there is nechsimu like nechsat sein barzil, she has to sell it. Sell it to others, sell it to your husband, to pay for the debt. More than that, if there is a ksuba that has in it toisefes ksuba, then don't touch the ikr ksuba, sell your toisefes ksuba. More than that, even if there is no toisefes ksuba, but the damage and the ksuba money are equal, so anyways there's no deterrent, also she has to assign the ksuba to him. When did the Braisa say that if a woman damages her husband, she does not have to assign the ksuba to him? That's only in the case where there is no addition to the ksuba, there's no nechzimaloik, there's no nechzimbarzil, there's no tasteless ksuba, and the money of the damage is worth a lot less than the ksuba, so there is still a deterrent. Ah, since there is still a deterrent, you don't force it to sell, to give it to her husband. It's very limited. So now the Gemara asks a question, in the seifa of this Braisa, in the part that we're speaking about a woman who damages her husband, the Braisa says words that have to be explained. The Braisa says, We're going to learn this shot in the Braisa. Here in the Havamina, the way Toysavus explains it, that just like if she damages someone else, while she's still married, we don't force her to sell the Ksuba B'Toyvus She owes the money, like we learned in our Mishnah, she doesn't pay. She hotnished. You don't make Toyvus Kach, likewise, if she damages her husband himself, we don't force her to assign the Ksuba to him. Now this doesn't make sense, because as we just spoke out, the scenarios between her damaging a third party versus her damaging her husband, when she damages her husband, there are many cases where we will make her assign the ksuba to her husband. The Braisa's scenario where she doesn't have to do anything is only in the case, like we spoke out, that there's no that the damage is very, it's much less than the ksuba. It's only in that case where, since there's still a deterrent, we don't force her to assign it. But our cases, the Mefsedom, like we just explained, for example, if there is Tosefus Ksuba, we will make her assign that to her husband. So as says the Gemara that the whole Seifa is speaking about another din. 
Sachazara. What did we learn in Ksubas? Ksubas bin Nichlin means like this. When a woman gets married, again, all of the assets are written into the Ksuba. Nechsa Tzim Barzil and Nechsa Maloyik. Now, what's the rule of the Ksuba? That if he divorces her, if he predeceases her, Nechsa Tzim Barzil, he has to give her back the value of it. Nechsa Maloyik, she gets those assets themselves. But what happens if she dies before him, then he gets everything. So the Gemara said like this, that parents who were advocated to give dowries to the daughters, because it's a mitzvah to marry of your daughter, how can you fulfill that mitzvah? It's not up to you. If you give them a lot of assets, then many men will want to marry them. But there's, a, there's something working against a father-in-law wanting to give to his daughter a, a large amount of money for a dowry, because he's afraid of the following. The, the in-laws would love for the money that they gave to go to the grandkids, but they wanted to go to their grandkids. Now, since that then men were allowed to marry more than one woman at a time, look at the case. A man is going to marry a woman. Woman number one. A marry, uh, uh, the same man married woman number two. The, woman number one brought in a lot of assets. If she dies before him, who inherits? He inherits. What happens when he dies? Who gets that? All of his kids. From that wife, from other wives. Which means that some of these assets will end up going to another woman's children. The, in, the father-in-law didn't give it on that. He wants it to stay in his family. So they made a rule, a stipulation, that yet yeah, the husband will inherit his wife. But after he dies, everything that he inherited from that wife only goes to her sons. And if he has other sons, they don't get any part of that. That's a rule written in the Ksuba. So now, what the Brais is saying like this, what happens when we have a woman that sold her Ksuba B'Tayvah and we're speaking about a woman that had assets in her ksuba. She had nechsim aloig and nechsim tzayim barzil. And what's the sale of tzayim v'sano? The sale is that the man says that if the husband will divorce you, I'm getting those assets. If the husband will predecease you, I'm getting those assets. But if you're going to die first, I lost. That's what the discounted price is for. He's taking a risk. If a woman sells her ksuba but in the case where she dies before her husband. So that guy lost. Do you say that since she sold her ksuba, the Benin Dichrin don't get that special connection to the land? Because she sold her ksuba. Is a woman selling her ksuba, will that affect the Benin Dichrin? So Rava says that the Bryce is telling you it does not. Exactly, it will not. No, because could be if she sold it, she sold her ksuba. She gave up her rights to the ksuba, which she did because if he'll divorce her, if he'll predecease her, she won't get anything. She already cashed out her ksuba. So what the Brais is telling you... What is Benedictin Well, only happens if she dies before him. The question is, if a woman We're sells her ksuba... And that's the same Barzal. For other assets separate from the no, the assets that are written in the Ksuba, the Nechsa Tzayim Barzal and the Nechsa Maloyik, does the, her sons lose it if she sold the Ksuba B'Tayvis No, A question. So Rav is learning Pshat in the Braisa, the Braisa is saying not. That her selling the Ksuba B'Tayvis has nothing to do with her giving up the rights of her sons. Shitaka doesn't do that. All she's doing is she needs money now. So being that she might get assets later, she's cashing out now. She's factoring it now. But in the event where she dies, or she wouldn't get anything, the buyer won't get anything, the condition of Benin Dichlin still stands. And on that, the Braisa is saying that it makes no difference if the woman sold the Ksuba to a third party. 
It makes no difference if a woman sold a ksuba to her husband. In both cases, the benin dichlin still stands. Let's, in both cases, it, one would have thought that it affects the benin dichlin because ultimately the benin dichlin are going to get at the end that special seer because of the ksuba. The moment the woman sells a ksuba, one can argue she sold away all the rights of the ksuba. No, when the husband gets it, that's irrelevant. It's after the husband dies. Listen, if she sells, you have to understand something. If she sold her ksuba b'tayvah if the husband divorces her, she doesn't get those properties anymore. If the husband predeceases her, she doesn't get the properties. So she effectively already took those assets away from her kids. The Zayd is not having his grandkids living in that house if she gets divorced. So maybe she sold it, she sold it completely. We don't say that. No, that's that we learned in Amadalaf. The question is whether a woman's sale of Tavisana will affect the Benindichrin. And that is where Debraisa compares, doesn't matter whom she sold it to. It does not affect it. Let's read it inside. If she sells her ksuba, the Tavis Hana, to a third party, if she dies before her husband. So the buyer gets nothing. The husband gets it. And then when the husband dies, we say that her sons get exclusive inheritance of that which she brought in. And why is that? Because she only sold it because Zuzehu the Ansua. She needed money. So when she sold it, she didn't give up rights that she does not need to. She only gave up what she needed to. What did she need to? If he'll divorce her. If he'll predecease her. She gets those assets. She needs those assets now. So she's discounting it. She's getting money now. But... Whether her sons will get the ksubas benedichlen later has nothing to do with her selling it or not selling it. Kach likewise says the Braisa that if she sells her ksuba to her husband, b'tayvas hana. What a husband. You want money, honey? Sell me the ksuba. B'tayvas hana. Loi, that's why she beat him up. It's all connected. Loi, you see the ksubas benedichlen. Then it doesn't affect the ksubas benedichlen. Maitama zuzahu dan And again, that's the summary that if a woman was chayvel her husband, again, if she has been in nechsemulug nechsemulug barzil, she has to sell it and give it to him. If, if the, the damage and the value of the ksuba are the same, so there's no deterrent anyway, she has to give him the ksuba. The only time she won't have to pay her husband is if the damage that she caused to the husband is less than the money of the ksuba. Here you can't have her assign the ksuba to the husband because here you're taking away the deterrent. Ah, taking away a deterrent is something that Rav Meir does not allow. Let's move on. Now we're going back to Takana Susha. And again, that being that Nechsa Maloid means that the asset remains the wife's, it's only that the husband has user fruit. So theoretically a woman should be allowed to sell it. Not Tavasana. Sell it, sell it. Again, she won't get full value. But here the buyer is win-win. The buyer knows that if he divorces her, if he predeceases her, or if she predeceases him, then he should get that asset. So in Usha, they said you can't do that. Like we learned Rashi Mishum Eva. No, the, the, since she owns it, so why can't she she should be allowed to sell it? Then if she dies, then the, then the buyer gets it. If he dies, the buyer gets it. If he divorces, the buyer gets it. She, theoretically, should be allowed to do it. The only thing the buyer cannot do is that while they're married, the buyer cannot have the fruit. Because during the marriage, the Chachamim gave the husband the fruit. So came along the Sanhedrin and Usha, and they said that if a woman is going to start selling off her assets of Nechsa Maloik, the husband is going to resent her. So she has no right to do it. And again, 
Then I say this because the whole concept is is that the assets are his. Now, it's not his, his. He only has the user fruit. But it's still his. And he also knows that the, if, she wouldn't, if she wouldn't sell it, what would happen if she dies? Who gets it? He does. he does. If she sells it, he doesn't get it. Oh, who knows why he married her? Maybe he married her, married her for the asset. You're ruining the whole marriage. Now, that's not written anywhere. So now says the Gemara, Lema, 13 lines from the bottom, let's chaparain another piece, that takonas ushas tanoihi. Maybe there's a machlekes tanoim whether we accepted this takonavush. Or whether there was a takonas ush. The tani chada, this is a great case. A woman gets married and she has avadim. And she brings those avadim in her marriage as nechsem Which means the avadim belong to her. But during the marriage, the husband is the one that gets to boss the avadim around. They work for him. There's a din in the Torah that if the master damages their evit by knocking out one of their 24 limbs that don't regenerate, the evit goes free. Very nice. If someone in this marriage knocked out the eye of this evit, will the evit ever go free? Now think of the husband, for sure not, because the husband doesn't own the evit. It belongs to her. He only has the right for the petis. And we pass him like Rav Shlakish, king and a petis, lafke king and a goof. So it's not the husband's. Question is, if the wife knocks out this slave's tooth or eye, will the evit go free? Because the, because the wife owns the evit. She's the owner. Why not? Because Takanasusha, because since she has no rights not even to sell it, let's read it inside. So look, in one Braisa, Braisa number one it says that Abde Melug, that she brought in, Yoitzin Bishemba Ayin Leisha. If the woman knocks out her tooth or an eye, they go out free, but not the men. Yeah. And it says in another Braisa that Loyla Ish will Isha. That no matter who does it, you don't go free. So Sabrua, they thought, the Kula Alma, everyone holds, like we spoke out in the beginning of today's share, King and Apetus, like they Shlakish, Wafke, King and Aguf Dami, as we spoke out from Tanya, which is talking about the Bainani, you can be, uh, your Apetus can be beautiful. Your Guf doesn't change. Rabbi Echnan was the Tzaddik. He didn't understand that if you're behaving good, you become automatically transformed. It doesn't work that way for most of us. So now, my Labakam Ifligi, the Manda Amar Leisha, the first Braisa, that says that if the wife knocks out his tooth and eye, he goes free. Why? They never accepted Takana Susha. Therefore, she still owns the Evid. And you can monetize it. She has the right to sell him. So it's her Evid. You knock out your Evid, he goes free. The second Braisa, Manda Amar Isha. Because they accepted Takana Susha. It doesn't matter if it's a Doraisha Darabanan. Now that the Chachamim said that you cannot sell it, the Chachamim took away your uh, rights over the Evid during the marriage. It's not the wives during the marriage. Oh, says the Gemara, not necessarily. Loi. Let's hop around. There's a few lois. There's three. Let's see how much we can learn. One approaches the Kula Alma is Lita Takana Susha. Everyone holds of Takana Susha. Elo, Khan, Kaidim Takana. Very simple. Before the Takana Susha, when she was still allowed to sell the Evid, since she can sell the Evid, she's called the boss. She's called the owner. He goes free. And the second price is Lachar Takana. Approach number one. Approach number two, the E by Yisema, that E the E the Lachar Takana. And both prices hold of Takana Susha. Now the question is, why would the wife free the Evid? How does she own the Evid? The Chachamim don't even allow her to sell the Evid. Kidarava. The Amarava, guys, we learned this together five times. We learned this, you see in the side, we learned this in Yavamas and Ksubas and Gitan and Adarim and now, now, in Baba Kama. That Hegdish, Chametz, and Shechbud, Mafkin, Midei, Shibud. Let's go through this again. If a person has a debt, and they have an ox, 
and they designated the ox as the lien for the debt. They made the ox into the apoiteka, apoiteheikoi. Not all of my assets are linked to the debt. This ox is linked to the debt. Then the genius, the owner of the ox, was magdish the ox, Rashi says, to Andamizbeach, Kedusha Sagov. Hegdish takes away the Shibut. Just because there is a lien on this to you, you do not own this yet. I, if I'm Magdish it, now, what about your lien? Other things have to be liened. Yeah. But Hegdish has the power to take away the lien. Chametz means if a Jew owes money to a non-Jew. A non-Jew lent money to a Jew. And the Jew designated Chametz as an apoitika. This Chametz will be the payment, but it's still in the Jew's house. And now comes Pesach. Comes the Erev Pesach for sixth hour. The din is that we don't say since it was lean to the guy, it belongs to the guy. If it belongs to the guy, then it's no problem. It's not called Chametz Shavar Allah Pesach. We don't say that. It's still, the, it's still the Jews. Now, many of the Rishonim hold, if the Chametz would have been in the house of the guy, then it would be no problem. But since, since it's the house of the Jew, even though it's an Apoiteke, it's still the Jews. If it's the Jews, it's a lose-lose. So it's Chametz Shavar Allah Pesach. So now it's Asr. He can't even, the Jew cannot even use it to pay his debt. He has to lean something else for the debt. And shikhrun means if an Evid was leaned to a loan. Can the owner then emancipate the Evid? Rabbi says, yes. I, the Evid is linked to a loan. It doesn't belong to that person yet. So now that's Gavaldic. Now, think about it. The woman, can the woman emancipate the Evid? Everyone holds Takana Susha. She cannot... Sell the Evid. Can she free the Evid? According to Rabbi, she could. L'chura. Because even though it's lean to the husband, she can't even sell it. But if she's mishachred it, the Evid will go free. If she has the right to free the Evid, then it's still hers. And if she knocked out a stutanai, Yitaka goes free. That will be a great way of understanding the Machloi, because there's only one problem. If that will be the explanation, then it's going to come out that one Braisa is against Rava. We would prefer for Rava to go according to everyone. So says the Gemara Leima, the Rava Tanoihi. One second, are you telling me that Rava's din is a machlekes Tanoim? No, it's the Tana that says that if the wife knocks out his tooth, he does not go out free. Is it because the Tana holds that uh, that if an Evid is designated for a debt, can you not free it? So the Gemara says, no, everyone will hold the din of Rava. But let's not forget, here, we're not speaking about it, it being linked to a debt. Here it's more than that. Here it's marriage. And maybe what does Takana Usha do, Mishum Eva, that the strengthened the ownership of the husband. Let's say Nechzimaloy gets like it's linked to the husband. Over here it's linked even more. And maybe she cannot even free the Evid, even according to Rabba. So that's the key. If she has the right to free the Evid, then she's still the owner. If she knocks out the tool of the eye, the Evid goes free. If we say that even we hold like Rabba, that an Evid that's leaned to a loan could be freed. But in marriage... The Chachamim said the husband's chap, hold on, the next Simulaig is even stronger. She cannot free the evidence. If she cannot free the evidence, then the evidence does not go free to be continued.